Hi, and welcome to That Podcast, episode 26. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And this week, we're not going to do our usual sort of rambling and things like that. Um, and that, and I say this week, we are. Uh, this is the second time of the week we recorded, so that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, we're going to concentrate on Bo's new, uh, well, not, not career, but new company. Um, he's working for a company in the UK called Money. They're a startup, and I'm going to sort of ask him a few, a lot of technical things, but um, I think Bo should probably give us a little bit of a rundown of what the product is to start with. So, so what does it do, Bo? Yeah, so at, at this point in in Money's uh, life, we are a CRM, a sales management platform. So, yeah, I'm not the sales guy. <laughs> My business partner Ollie is is, and we have we have another guy working with us as well who's doing a lot of the sales stuff to talk about what the platform actually is. Um, and, you know, it's it's an interesting thing for me because. Uh, when we first started talking about what money was going to be, we had a really like far distant plans for what it was. And so it's still pretty hard for me to get away from that right now. Like when, when I think about what we're building, what we're actually selling, like if you go to our website and see what we're selling, it's, it's a lot different than what we originally set out to build. And I, I think that's pretty common that people will, will shift, uh, pivot or whatever. It's not really a pivot, uh, as much as, you know, just kind of fine tuning where we're going to go in the first year or two. Incremental rather than pivoting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think um, I asked you this about a, a couple of weeks ago, but it was not, it was kind of nice to hear. I, I I asked you if you'd actually used the CRM while you were freelancing, and you said no. And then I said, if you having done the work you're doing on money, given the opportunity to use something like money during that time, would you have done? And you said like, quite a resounding yes. Uh, yeah. Do you feel that? that yeah. Tell, yeah, us, I, tell I us think more that, about that. Go on. Yeah, I think that uh, both Beck and I have looked at this as a, a good tool for us. Um, Beck does her sale, her selling stuff as well. Um, you know, she has uh, at any given time anymore. She has anywhere from two to three people that are potentially going to be doing uh, a commission piece. Um, all of the the consulting stuff that I did over the last year and a half, I totally should have been using something like this. Um, you know, it was just one of those pieces that I hadn't really put into place yet, and you know, I, I I knew about tools that were like this, but I think the the one that I had the most experience with just in a company where other people were using was Salesforce, and that was back in I think two thousand seven. So like, I I saw it back then. It seemed like a big thing. It looked very expensive to get into, so I didn't really consider get anything like this for you know for for the software consulting stuff that I was doing. But having seen how it works and what it's supposed to do for your your business totally makes sense. I think that a lot more people probably should be using that. I don't really see a lot of people talking about it, though. Do you? Like, do you know other software consultants using things like that? No, not that I'm aware of. Um, to be honest, um, there was one, um, the one chap actually who I'd sort of I'd reached out to about doing some consulting for us at some point, and he. He actually, um, he recently got back in touch with me and asked if I'd be willing to go onto his sort of consulting newsletter. Um, and I, I said, yeah, and that's about as much sort of, uh, you know, customer development I've, I've had from any of these sort of individual consultants and freelancers. When mm-hmm. I've um, been involved with uh, consulting companies, so bigger companies, uh, like Invika in the UK, there's definitely a sales process going on there where I'm sure they're backed by some sort of CRM, but mm-hmm. yeah, not down at the individual level. Uh, 
which I find yeah. quite interesting because the more you look at it, the more you think about it, it would be a very useful tool to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only person that I've I've talked to was uh, Michelangelo Van Dam. Um, he, he, we actually talked about it a little bit last year. And uh, he said that he uses, I can't remember which tool he says he uses, but uh, he, he is someone who I know actively uses a CRM. But other than that, you know, I, I know people talk about building them. I know that people use, like companies use them, but not necessarily like individual, you know, consultants. Uh, one thing that I do use a lot is online accounting software. And so that was actually my, my interest in money originally. Um, where I could actually see myself using it would be, you know, if money eventually evolves into some sort of accounting system or, you know, like invoicing uh, quotes, that sort of thing. Um, you know, that stuff made sense to me because I was already using stuff like that. Uh, but when we started to focus more on kind of the the intro product into money, like what were we going to build first, uh, we decided to build a CRM and I didn't really know much about it then. But yeah, after, you know, six months playing with it, it totally makes sense. I, I think that I would definitely use something like this if I were to go back to consulting in like a year or two or, you know, whatever happens, you know, if it's five years, 10 years from now, um, totally would, would use something like this if I were going to do consulting again. Cool. And then, um, so the product is sort of launched now, am I right, to mm-hmm. the public? Yep. And yep. are you targeting any particular sort of niches with your, with the CRM? Because obviously it's a, I wouldn't say it's a, a crowded market but there are quite a lot of people in the market and uh... yeah um i think i think that one of the big focuses right now is uk businesses um so we're it, it's not necessarily a uh, a vertical but we're not we're not just saying hey it's for anybody and everybody um and, and a lot of these <laughs> i feel like uh if if other people on the team when they hear this podcast are gonna be like what is Bo talking about he doesn't know anything about the business um you know i there are definitely other people who are dealing with that, dealing like trying to figure out, um, you know, which what our target market is going to be specifically. I think I've seen business services tossed around. If if you hear business services, do you know what that means? Yeah, kind of. Um, sort of maybe accountancies and, mm-hmm. and people like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those. It's one of those things where I don't know if it's a UKism. <laughs> Like, is is this makes sense within like a UK market? Like, if people know what business services is, I don't know if I would in the US, but it may just be that I've never like focused on that sort of thing before. So, um, well, I think so. Yeah, that it it doesn't actually have a specific niche market that we're aiming for, um, because it can be used in pretty much any business that wants to do sales. Um, but I think that the the marketing team is definitely going to focus on. A select group of people to to go after directly but it doesn't mean that other people can't join and start using money okay cool mm-hmm. so we've covered that um so let's talk about the actual i think you've, you've talked about the products and people have a rough idea of what it is now mm-hmm. so let's talk about the front end the user interface specifically sort of that uh, side of thing is it it's solely web app at the minute there's no yes mobile native yet no nope, uh, not yet is that is that an, is that specifically chosen as in you're developing this platform on the web and something like that might come later or is it just being no i I think that i think that we definitely want to have a mobile app of some sort um it's just a question of resources right now you know we we can't really spend the time building a web app and you know properly building a, a nice native mobile application um you know we talked about doing like a web view you know just a simple container for the website you can do that, but 
you end up with the one-star reviews because you end up with a really poor interface. Um, so we, we're kind of putting that off a little bit longer, uh, focusing on making the, the web application itself work better. And then we can revisit what we want to do. Uh, if we want to do um, a proper native application, get some people on who actually know, you know iOS or Android development, build something nice, um, I think that would probably be a good thing for us to do. You know, it's, it is still possible that we'll end up with a, a fairly decent, um, uh, fairly de decent, responsive mobile applica uh, web application. In which case, you know, we might be able to get away with people using it, you know, just through mobile Safari or Chrome or whatever for yeah, a while. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Yeah. So, okay. So, what's the 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 tech stack or the front end of the website then? Um, yeah. So it's a uh, it's a React uh, JavaScript application right now. Um, uh, where we just I wanted to do some research on Flux, um, and Flux. Well, actually, all of JavaScript was just kind of uh, a minefield. Really, there's just tons of stuff out there. It's always changing. It's really hard to know which things to go for. So I think I actually spent about two or three weeks just researching different frameworks. You know, Angular, Ember, React, Vue.js was one of the big ones that was kind of being talked about, starting to be talked about a lot more last fall. And we weren't really, I wasn't really sure which, which direction to go, but we ended up landing on React, uh, did some research on Flux. Even within Flux, there's like a dozen different implementations that aren't all exactly Flux. <laughs> so uh, each with their own little communities. And yeah, so it's, I, I, have you d jumped into JavaScript much at that level? No, I've read of it. So my yeah. understanding is, so hang on, React. React is specifically about the rendering of the, the views and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. Flux is more about the pipeline of information flow. As in, it only goes in one direction, right? Yep. Is that yep. right? Yep. Yep, that's more or less correct. It, um, one of the, the developers here was looking at it, and uh, they made the comment that, you know, we, we'd been doing some stuff on the back end with, you know, events were saying CQRS, and I was kind of showing them how that worked. And they started to look at React and when we started to add Redux, which was the the Flux layer that we chose, um, he said, "Oh, this so these actions are sort of like events." Um, and so then you end up. It, it was was actually pretty true. So uh, the way that Redux works is that it's slightly different than the, the traditional Flux architecture, uh, but you end up with these. Um, you end up with a store, one single store for the entire application, which is different uh, between Flux. Normally, Flux would say a, a container has its own state or its own store uh, that would have actions and action creators, I believe. Um, there were a couple of other terminology things that I, I don't remember anymore because I don't do any of that. Uh, but Redux has a store um, and then it has reducers, which are basically, if you look at it from like a CQRS context, uh, they're, they're basically the projectors. So they will take the actions that are sent uh, or the actions that are dispatched to the store and then modify state based on um, the different handlers that handle the actions that come through. So they were able to see like a parallel between that, which was kind of cool. So it made it a little easier to to transition to that. Um, but yeah, so the, the whole thing is very much, a, uh, it's very difficult to find like best practices and it's very difficult. And, you know, best practice is kind of one of those things that depending on who says it, it's, it's either a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like finding anything at all that shows you 
this is a good way to do things. Um, it was really difficult to find examples that were e that were complex enough to show kind of what we wanted to do, uh, but easy enough for someone who didn't know what they were doing to follow it. Um, so there were probably a dozen different example apps that I looked at. All of them had chosen to do it differently. <laughs> like like the core, like the whole stack was different. Uh, the only thing in common was maybe React and Redux as the mm. two two pieces that were there. But then it was really difficult to pull out which which things were different because of the stack versus just preference for this person versus does this actually make sense to do it this way? Um, it was actually really challenging and really painful. Uh, I think it took us, well, it took me like two months to actually get to a point where I felt confident that it was even kind of going in the right direction, um, which was kind of a painful point for us, I think. You know, getting getting from nothing to actually having something on the front end that looked reasonably like it was going to do something uh, took way longer than I thought it was going to. But I would say over the last, basically since January, mid-January, uh, things sort of started to fall into place a lot better with it. So we're able to do a lot more interesting things. Um, I think I was mentioning just the other day that we started to do more optimistic update of the UI, uh, which is kind of a cool thing that I wasn't really sure how to do. And I didn't really find any docs on, you know, recommendations on how to do such a thing. But uh, with, with the stuff that we've set out now, it's actually working pretty nicely. A couple of kinks to work out yet, but I'm starting to feel a lot more confident and familiar in the whole architecture with the, the front end stuff. Okay, so for people who don't know, uh, what's optimistic updates to the UI? Ah, uh, um, so the with with like event sourcing and CQRS stuff, you sometimes talk about the um, on on the on the back end side anyway. You would talk about eventual consistency, where you 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 issue a command, and eventually the read models and and the data that you'd be reading later would reflect that data, um, which is which can be nice because you no longer you're no longer bound to having to wait for a command to succeed. Uh, so if you have expensive things like sending emails or uploading files or things like that, uh, you know, batch processing, um, you don't have to worry about that because you just send the command and it says it's done. Uh, where that becomes problematic is if you then want to show someone the data or know when that data is actually completed, you don't know when that's going to be available. Uh, so the idea of, in, in the UI anyway, of doing optimistic update is saying, uh, I'm going to mark this task as complete. Um, it might actually take two seconds for that task to be complete, com uh, completely completed within the database at all of its levels. Um, but an optimistic uh, update says, I'm going to assume that this is going to complete successfully. So I'm going to update the UI right now to say that this task is now complete. Uh, so that's the the general idea of an optimistic uh, update on the UI side. Okay, so it, for all intents and purposes, that thing you just click save on has actually happened. Mm -hmm. Here's what it would look like. And yep. assuming all does go to plan, the user's none the wiser that it, that it actually happened after they saw it. Yep, yeah. And where it gets a little more complicated is what happens if it doesn't go as planned so that's that's one of the things that we're still working on a little bit but i would say that error states across the entire system are are lacking a bit um so that's one of the things that we need to start focusing on now that we have an actual application that that works for the most part um 
we need to start do, uh, handling the edge cases a little better for, you know, if a timeout happens on a request, you know, that sort of thing where we need to be able to uh, respond to those better. You know, maybe pop up a little toast message that says, oh, this task couldn't actually be completed, retry. Uh, so you could retry the command again or, you know, maybe dismiss it and just revert the, the, the UI change back to that task no longer being completed. Um, but give the user some way to notice that that happened uh, instead of just saying, yeah, it's all good and groovy. And meanwhile, that, that task has not actually been marked completed and they won't know about it because the UI can't tell them that it's not updated. Yeah. It adds complexity, but it it makes the the whole experience feel a lot better uh, as long as it's managed well. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Uh, it's not something I've ever really done myself. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly not to that extent, anyway. Uh, so it was it was actually pretty neat. Um, this this was kind of the direction that I wanted to go in back in September um, when we first started working on the the JavaScript side of things and. Um, it it didn't really work out so well. I think we managed to get maybe thirty percent of the way there with the the way that the API calls needed to be handled in JavaScript, um, and it ended up to be a mess. Um, as asynchronous programming can often become, uh, if you don't really uh, manage that very well. Um, so in de- December and January, uh, I ended up pulling out a bunch of that code and redoing it, and only did it partially. But since September, we've been using um, a JSON API scheme. Have you have you used JSON API? Or have you seen it? I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, I've, it's, it's one of the different schemes that are uh, JavaScript schemas out there. Um, I, I was, I'm usually a fan of HAL because uh, I, I like HAL browser. Um, but I wanted to try this out and give this a try. But we've been setting a type. Uh, so every single um, object that comes back from the API has a type on it. And we weren't doing anything with that. Um, but... I, I knew what, how we would do it, and I sort of set up everything on the API so that we could leverage that for these optimistic updates. Um, and when we actually t- started working on it last week, uh, Alec, the the other programmer um, who or the programmer who was working on that um, at the time, it was it was just kind of fun because he got to see that, and he like as soon as he flipped it on he looked at state and all of a sudden it filled up completely with all of this data. <laughs> He's like, wow, it's all already there. Uh, because it was, it, it was already coming in with the, uh, with the way that the API was set up. We just had, we just had to enable it. Uh, so that was kind of cool to see that, that work. And I would say the first, first six hours that we worked on it, it went really smoothly. Uh, and then it started, we started to run into some of the edge case issues where things were coming in mm-hmm. out of order or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, just the way that it all fell in, um, worked out really well. So I'm, I've been super happy with uh, JSON API so far, uh, with the exception of some of our resources don't have natural IDs, and it sort of relies on the idea of having an ID. So I don't know if we need to invent surrogate IDs f- for those resources or how we should handle that, but I'm just punting on that for a little while. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so... I remember when you when you first started out building the the, the single page app with and mm-hmm. you were slightly worried about the, the amount of code you were throwing down. What sort of size are you running at now for the first uh, first uh, a cold cold cache first load of the, of the app? Hmm. You know what? Let me let me run that real quick. So I haven't I haven't actually uh, checked lately. So in production right now. Um, I should be able to pull this up pretty easily. Just need to make sure that I don't crash Hangouts. All right, so um, 
the, I, did, I did two things. I enabled the code splitting, uh, which helped make certain parts go a lot better. So anytime you hit the site um, raw right now, it looks like 1.4 megabytes. It's not so bad at all. Yeah. Um, actually, it's 1.8 megabytes transferred. I'm not sure if that means that it's 1.4 um, compressed. Uh, but so And that basically gets you the login screen, which sounds really awful. So... I'm going to log in and get to the main dashboard. And the, the code splitting stuff was actually pretty awesome. I was pretty happy with how that worked out. Let's see here. Okay, so, what's, so I'm going to what, do what's, a... What's the code splitting? Uh, so the code splitting is a way to incrementally load JavaScript. Okay. Um, so that depending on... Um, the It's... You could sort of think of it like um, PHP auto include or uh, auto loading, where certain parts of the code um, can be uh, just by using that code, uh, it beca it then knows which which JavaScript chunk to download because of it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it one second. I just want to get this back up. Let me see if I can pull all of the JavaScript. So it looks like our main page is. Or like if you log, if you're already logged in, um, it is 1.9 megabytes transferred. Sounds and, all right. And I'm trying to see. Yeah, 1.9 megabytes transferred. So um, the the main app um, app.js is 12.8k. Uh, there's a manifest file that basically has the the index of all of the JavaScript chunks that need to be downloaded, and that's 1.3k. Um, the common bundle is basically, um, there's, there's one file that I have that I basically bring in all of the stuff that's used on almost all of the pages. And, um, so that brings in our UI toolkit, uh, that brings in react itself, um, and a couple of other of the big libraries. So that's the big one. That's 1.3 megs. Um, and yeah, the, um, there's another app bundle that is, 75k, so that's a pretty pretty good size one, um, and then one that's 28k. Uh, so those are all the, the the pieces they get pulled in to build the main app. Right. Okay. And yeah, and it's it was actually I didn't really understand how that was going to work, and it turned out to work really nicely. Um, and I've I've gotten a lot lot more comfortable at at building those, but now we have tons of chunks. But I think at some point last maybe maybe October November, I think our page load was up to like. 13 megabytes <laughs> so every every page that you would hit raw no matter if it was a, a little page a big page the login page it was going to take 11 megabytes to download everything so um you know it wasn't a, a lot of optimization that we did or that i ended up doing but uh, i think it's helped quite a bit is you know it's well under you know three megabytes now to get a, a good sized part of our website downloaded yeah i mean that, that sounds familiar to me but it's not something i've done for a long time i eh? mm -hmm way back when um like I mean, seven years ago or something like that i was using the, the dojo toolkit a lot mm -hmm. uh, which was, wasn't all that popular it seemed like i think it was more popular in enterprise than it was sort of in the open source community yeah. uh, and but we we did that kind of thing we had sort of a bundle of modules that were going to mm -hmm. be used you know commonly together in which case you could download the whole lot rather than individually requiring uh everything yeah. so yeah, I, I actually used Dojo back in the day, and 
you know how I like to rewrite things. I actually tried to decompile Dojo into its pieces to figure out how it ticked. Um, and I think that was my first experience with uh, aspect-oriented programming because it, it was this weird JavaScript framework, what, 10 years ago, had point cuts and all these other things that you could do um, in it. And yeah, it was that was actually my first, I think that was when I first really started to like JavaScript was seeing how much you were, how much Dojo was able to do and realizing that the language itself was actually pretty awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I think Dojo was a little bit ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it, there was a few. It was doing a few things that were probably considered to be deprecated now in the way they were doing it, but they spawned. I'm sure they spawned certain things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was kind of one of those monolithic things too. Like, yeah, I think a lot of the JavaScript frameworks, you know, like the there's a lot of little utilities now that you can get that were just bundled into jQuery and bundled into uh, Dojo and bundled into all of these different bigger frameworks. It's sort of similar to what happened with PHP, I guess, where you end up with the the big monolithic, you know, Symfony and Zend and all of these big things. And now you have a bunch of tiny applica- or tiny pieces, little components that you can pull out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think actually we, we went with it mostly because of, um, I think the Zen framework sort of, Adopted it as its sort of mm. most most compatible mm. JavaScript framework, so we went with it because of that, really. But yeah, mm. okay. So you're not in trouble with the file size. That sounds a good. Yeah. Um, and so how about the uh, the build chain? Because I mean, <laughs> I'm interested in this because obviously it's uh, something I've we've mentioned it plenty of times on the show before that I've avoided like the plague. Um, my build chain for my very simple amount of JavaScript on my website is a bit of Bash and mm-hmm. uh, the Yahoo, whatever it's called, thing. What UE compressor? Uh, that's about yep, it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Babel, right? You 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 are using ES six, is that right? Yep, yep. ES six plus. So it's actually beyond ES six at this point. Um, okay. I don't follow all of the new names for everything. Um, like there's like specific names for these different things. And I, I run into that often actually. Like I don't know how to name the different features that I'm looking for. Um, like I, I try I try to look for PHP's colon colon class. Like I never remember which version of PHP that's that came into and I don't know how to find that. <laughs> came in five point um, five. I know cause yeah. today because somebody submitted something to mockery uh, and the five point four tests were failed on Travis because of it. Ah, okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it, I have a similar problem with pretty much everything. And I don't know how other people do it because I'll, you know, I'll send out a tweet and I'll say, what's this called? And someone will write back and they'll like have a link directly to the, the right spot. But there's uh, the things that I'm liking the most right now are the, uh, the triple dot. I think it's, I don't remember what, I don't remember what that was called. I feel like that actually, that had like a weird name, um, which allows you to, I think PHP has this now. Where you can get the rest of the parameters or rest of the arguments, yeah, they have something like that. We call them variadic functions in the PHP. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's similar to that where you can um, pull out uh, parts of the argument, but you can also use it on objects. Um, so you can it it's it's actually an interesting thing because you can take an object with say five keys and use um, assign it to a new object and pull out some of the keys and then leave the rest of the keys there. Um, so you can get 
you can do this weird thing where you can split an object into its into pieces based on the key names. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of interesting things you can do. Um, I also like the the short object notation. Uh, if the if the key has a, uh, if, if the key for the value that you're assigning um, is the same name name as the 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 value uh, or as the variable that holds the value, you only have to specify that. So uh, open curly brace um, name close curly brace. If the if there's a variable named name with the value that you want, you now have an object with a key called name with the value that you want. Okay. Uh, it just cleans up a whole lot of repeated stuff. And you know, when I go back to PHP, it's it's made PHP that much harder for me now <laughs> because mm. you end up with like, you know, you actually have to do quote name, quote fat arrow, dollar name. And it's just so verbose and repetitive. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, I've been enjoying that and finding things in JavaScript that I want to, I wish PHP had a little better. Okay. Um, so, I, so go ahead. when you say, so you might, you might not be able to answer this based on what you just said, but mm-hmm. so ES6 is, is ES6 a stamped standard now? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I so think, I think it might be, but there, there were things that were either not yet supported or hadn't yet been ratified or something like that. Um, so I don't know. I guess my question is, at what point is Babel becoming less of a transcompiler from one language to another to like having its own language? If that makes sense. Like, if ES6, if what ES6, ES6 plus is what you're doing, I mean, where does that come from? Where does the plus come from? Is that a Babel thing, or is that just is that someone else and Babel is literally just a tool in the middle? No, I, I think Babel's the tool in the middle, and I think that what Babel does is it it tries to aim for future compatibility with proposed standards or proposed changes to the language. So um, the whole goal of Babel is to take uh, JavaScript that's not current JavaScript and compile it into, or basically read, uh, transpile it, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. basically convert it into ES5 so that okay. um, you can take a chunk of ES6 code with the um, with the new dot 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 operator, um, which actually I think dot, the dot 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 thing is actually the, the plus part. I think that's something that was proposed and is now going to be in ES7 or on track to be in ES7. Because um, I, th- I think that's something that I wanted to use, but then I had to add a plugin to enable it or something. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that their goal, I, I don't even know, but I, I'm guessing that their goal is to provide the tools to let people develop in future versions of JavaScript, um, but making it such that it can actually run on older versions of JavaScript. Okay. So that does that. What else is there? Mm-hmm. What are you um, using to do your bundling of stuff? Yeah, so um, so y- y- I looked uh, I looked up using npm as a build tool, um, sort of based on our discussions in the past about trying to keep the build tool simple. I think I started out with Grunt. What's the other one? There's another G one. Gulp. Grunt. Gulp. I don't remember which one's newer. <laughs> um, no, I'm not sure. But, you know, as my, I, I started using it just to see how far I could get with it uh, because I sort of felt like anytime I Googled some of these more complicated things, I was getting people with complicated Gulp or, or Grunt build tools. Uh, so I kind of started there, but that's such that's such a mess. Um, 
there was one thing that the the pipelines were different. Um, I don't remember how, I don't even know how to describe it. Some there there was a utility called vinyl that basically converted between traditional pipes and and some other concept that was used by some of the the tools because you can actually write real JavaScript as part of the process or something. I don't know. It was really complicated and it was rapidly getting to the point where I didn't want to deal with it anymore. So I started to to go back and said, you know, I probably can do this all just with NPM or just something simple. Um, so that's where I initially started. And I found one of the articles where one person had talked about all of the things that they were doing at, I think at work or another project that they had to do complicated um, build tools to do and try to manually go back and do this just with like NPM run scripts. So you could just run, uh, write a little tiny script to do that. And I think they ended up writing a couple of utilities to help make some of those things easier. And I'm still using that right now. Um, I initially was using uh, I was using a SAS compiler. I was using a to, to do the styles and another part to do the actual JavaScript app itself. Um, I think I was using Browserify or something, I don't remember. There's all these things, and it's really complicated to keep it all in your head, especially if, you were, if you're super new to it, like I was last year. I'm like, oh, I don't know what these things are all for. Um, so there was also, there was another version of that that tried to do, um, uh, I think it had to, I don't remember what it did. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm losing track here. Um, the, the actual, the, the original app build script that I had uh, was using Nodemon to watch the files and then re recompile it. But uh, that very quickly started to take a lot of time. Um, and whatever tool I was using, there was another version of it that you could run that would actually watch the, the, the code in a different way and just compile the differences. Um, but that wouldn't wasn't working with the hash mark utilities <laughs> that I was using. So because it was a constant process, so it, there was no way to notify in line with just a simple uh, npm run script to say, okay, now go get that and use hash mark. Um, so I ended up looking for web, uh, looking at Webpack a little more closely because uh, it looked like it sort of did all of that in one, and that's actually turned out to be pretty nice. Um, the, the whole app now is mostly built just using Webpack. Uh, there's a, a webpack watch command that you can run um, so that so it's it's fast it's quick it does all of the splitting it's responsible for doing the uh, the code splitting stuff um, and I still have another command or did have another command to build the SAS um, uh, to, to build the styles but uh, webpack does that as well so just I think last week I switched it over so that everything now is building through webpack so the styles and everything is just going through one build process i'm still uh, using npm to drive it all um and and everything but everything else is just in in a webpack config okay so you mentioned styles uh is that all what what's going on there Do, are you using a framework are you using one of the sort of um yeah ways so of working I, with java uh, css i can't remember what they're called but. yeah now um I'm trying to push. I'm trying to push the the BEM. BEM, okay, yeah. So that's why but, you got like double underscores for. Oh, I can't remember. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah for elements, and then there's uh, the double dashes for modifiers. That's right. 
Yeah, uh, but we haven't done a whole lot with that yet. Um, we're we're actually doing a lot with the the default styles that we're getting from Material UI. Uh, it's a it's a React framework um, that's designed to uh, model the Google Material Design concepts, um, and we've actually had pretty good luck with that. But that's like thirty percent of our code, <laughs> like our, our deployed code. Uh, there's there's a couple of web Webpack analyzers that will look at all of the the JS files that are created, and like thirty percent of it is is Material UI, and I, I don't think we're using thirty percent. Like we're not using that many of, of the components, so it's yeah. kind of a little bit wasteful. But we're doing most of it that way. Uh, I mean, we do still have you know a, a site-wide uh, CSS, uh, our site-wide uh, SCSS file that kind of sets the skeletons in place. But um, most of it's uh, just uh, color tweaking and following the material UI uh, elements wherever we can. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the so the the interesting thing with Webpack and and styles is that it actually c- compiles everything into JavaScript. It compiles all the SAS into J- JavaScript. Okay. Um, and I don't I don't know anything about that. <laughs> it just works. Um, so yeah, uh, one of the one of the bundles that gets downloaded uh, right now our SAS bundle, which is called styles.bundle.js, is 113k for you know just a very small amount of CSS, but there's actually a JavaScript file that contains all the CSS now. And I guess it does the same thing for SVG. So if we wanted to start doing SVG graphics for our icons, um, it'll pull everything down so it's all done inline, which is actually pretty cool, but um, it's one of those things where if it ever breaks, it's really hard to track down what's going on with it because you've turned over so much control over to the build tools at that point. Yeah. I think that's where my fear comes from, really. Mm-hmm. It's not the actual learning how to use it; it's the learning how to deal with it when everything everything goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and the, I had a lot of fear with that, and I just sort of had to let it go uh, because I, I felt like it was the right thing for the application, and we just had to get through it. Um, we also had uh, issues with uh, Mac versus Windows versus. Vagrant, <laughs> uh, because the the JavaScript stuff didn't work the same way in all of the environments, um, which was kind of a pain. So that was the other thing that Webpack with the style sheets did for us is because apparently the uh, the style sheets haven't been able to be updated on any of the Windows boxes in a long time. <laughs> um, like they they would make changes to the style sheets, or I would make changes to the style sheets, and the, the SAS part of the build script just didn't pick it up for whatever reason. And there was an incompatibility with how the, this, the, the watching program was working to see if the SAS had changed versus not. Um, and I think I actually tried to look at it like a month ago, maybe two months ago, where it was working for them and it wasn't working for me. And then I, I flipped a, a switch and then it started working for me and then it stopped working for them. Right. And at that point we're like, all right, we're, we're good. We started doing inline style sheets in a couple of, in, in like the main HTML file um, for a little while, just because we're like, we're not, I, there's no time to deal with this. Uh, but now we fixed it because now it's everybody, it's building correctly for everybody using Webpack. So that is, that is one nice thing about using something like that um, is that it generally works pretty well in all environments. So it's been helpful. Yeah. Right, cool. So... I'm probably running about about time for what we mm-hmm. aimed. So I think yeah. um, 
I think next time we'll delve into the, the back end of the code a little bit more and see what you've got to say about that. Um, cool. Sounds good. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about quickly before we uh, sign off? No, I, we, we haven't had a chance to get our other episode up yet, so we don't have any awesome reviews to talk about or anything like that. So hopefully... This is true, yeah. Yeah, hopefully by episode 20... What, 27? What's 27, yeah. Hopefully yeah, by 20... episode 27, some of our awesome listeners will have left us some awesome reviews and we'll be able to uh, talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that would be really nice. Nice. So I need to do a bit more work before uh, bed. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. So, well, I'm at the office about ready to do a, a production migration. Ah, I get to do a, my, my first uh, event migration <laughs> tonight. <laughs> so so did you get it all fixed? I know you mentioned it earlier, yeah. Um, I, 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 I got some of it fixed. Okay. Um, I, 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 uh, I'm only going to do half of it tonight. There was one of them that's going to work right. The, the next one's going to be a little more complicated. So um, I figure why, why risk it? Why push it too hard? Uh, we're going to get this one going well and then give me another day or two to make sure that the other one's going to go well as well. But maybe we could talk about some of that next week. Sure. Okay. Cheers, Bo. Cool. All right. Well, uh, call this one a wrap.